Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. was alive and wriggling and over three inches long. It's horrifying. It's like something out of a sci-fi movie. That's Dr. Adler Dillman from the University of California, Riverside. And he's right. This story has been haunting me since we first put it on our list to cover. It is a hard one to forget, isn't it? Yeah. And as our listeners could probably figure out, it's about a worm. This worm was found wiggling around in a woman's brain. You know, there's really no good part of your body for this to happen, but I have to think that your brain would probably be the worst. Yeah, I I agree. That's probably the scariest place to find a worm in, in your body. So Dr. Hari Priya Bondi, a neurosurgeon in Canberra, Australia, found it when she was operating on a 64-year-old patient, as The Guardian reported. Doctors from the hospital documented the case, and it was featured in the September edition of the Emerging Infectious Diseases Journal. That's Lauren, one of our producers. I'm your host, Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat. This week, Dr. Dillman, a professor of parasitology and chair of the Department of Nematology at the University of California at Riverside, joined the show to help us learn more about parasites like the brain worm and how to avoid getting them in our own bodies. Now, the woman, uh, once she came to and they told her, one can only imagine what her reaction was. Yeah, I I can only I'm sure she was relieved that they figured it out. I think she'd been working with doctors for months. I think she just must have been first of all relieved that they'd figured out what it was and that she was going to get treated. My understanding is she's doing a lot better but but her neurological pathology hasn't totally resolved. So her she's not totally back to normal in terms of her brain function, her ability to remember things, but she's on the on the mend. What was your reaction when you first heard about this? My first reaction was I was stunned and I was trying to figure out before reading the article, what kind of parasite could this be? There's not very many worms that can end up in the brain. And with their mention of the size of this thing, I mean, they, they talk about it being eight centimeters, which is over three inches long. That's a that's a big worm. I was trying to envision what, I don't know of anything that's that big that really can infect a person's brain. I mean, you 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 can get um, something called the echinococcus, uh, which is a tapeworm that a larval stage can end up in the, in the brain. And I was just kind of going through in my, my mind, like, okay, what parasites end up in the brain? What could be this this big? And I was shocked to read what it was. Right? It was um, this Ophidoscaris. Uh, Robert's eye, which is not something anyone would expect in a person's brain because it doesn't infect people. Since I read the article about this, sometimes I just find myself 
touching my head as if I could figure out if there's a worm swimming around in my brain by touching my scalp. You're, you're totally creeping me out here. That's really gross. It is. I It probably won't work, so don't worry about it. But I was also tempted to head to WebMD right after I read it. I do that often after writing about diseases, and I kind of wanted to, like, compulsively check symptoms to make sure it wasn't happening to me. So you're one of those WebMD people. You diagnose your own illnesses on the Internet. Oh, definitely. I'm afraid to go to the real <laughs> doctor, but WebMD I love. Well, here's the good news, Lauren. You probably don't have one of these brain worms, but there is a catch. The symptoms associated with this worm are not exactly clear. So in the in the the article they they talk about her um, having pathology for quite some time initially nausea vomiting abdominal pain and then it it kind of progressed to neurological symptoms that she started to become forgetful um, had some some trouble with her with her cognitive function and uh they, they had been testing her for for quite a while before they made the definitive diagnosis they they did an mri of her and they re, they realized there were lesions in her brain but they also saw lesions in her lungs her stomach her, her liver her spleen so it was suggested that there was a lot of things going on they must have been thinking the worst that the, the cancer probably uh, some kind of tumor in her brain Exactly, exactly. And and she did have a number of pre-existing conditions. She she did have diabetes. She was dealing with hypothyroidism. She was still re recovering apparently from a case of pneumonia. And so she she was immune compromised. Ultimately when they ended up finding out what it was, they they treated her for they used antihelminthic drugs. They gave her ivermectin, they gave her al albendazole, and that cleared up almost everything except for the lesions in her spleen, which they now assume that that was a separate issue, not related to the parasitic infection. What makes this case different compared to other ones involving similar species? So number one, having a large, a large worm in your brain, that's very unusual. We we categorize worms in general as hel helminths, parasitic worms. That includes nematodes, which are roundworms, and that includes flatworms. So those all fit under this umbrella of helminth. And usually helminths in, in the brain are going to be um, juveniles, which are not going to be very big. For this Ophidoscaris Roberti infection, it's true that that was also not even an, an adult. That was a, a larval stage. They just happen to be very big. So, so the first thing is just the the size of the of the worm was shocking, and and second, nematodes don't often end up in the brain. That's comforting. Yeah. Well, don't get too comfortable. No, oh, no. Why? Well, because there are some parasites that do set up shop in the human brain pretty frequently, and that's something we see more often with the larvae of tapeworms. Normally when, when, when you say get pork tapeworm, this is Tania solium that I'm thinking of, you get that by eating undercooked pork. And the, the, the life stage that's in that pork is meant then to become an adult in your intestine. But how it ends up in your brain is if you eat the eggs. So you, you, you become a, an unintended intermediate host. Those, the, the egg is not ready to develop to adulthood in one host. It's meant to go through an intermediate host like a pig, 
where in the pig's intestine, the egg hatches, this larval stage comes out and it migrates into the tissue, into the musculature, into the brain, and then it insists there waiting to be eaten by the next host. So then when, when a carnivore eats the pig, now that tapeworm can become an adult tapeworm in that carnivore's stomach. But like if you eat those eggs, then you get this larval stage and that can end up in your brain. Um, and, the, and that's not terribly uncommon for pork tapeworm. You can get those eggs through fecal oral contamination. Somebody doesn't wash their hands, you eat something that they've prepared, and then you could get that. You said that this particular worm was in the larval stage. That's right. Had it reached adulthood, how big could it have gotten? So they're, they're, they're bigger as, as adults, not much bigger, uh, maybe on the order of eight inches. So still, that's pretty big. Normally, that's going to be in the intestine, though. And, and humans get uh, nematode parasites that can be even bit bigger than that, 10 inches, 12 inches in the intestine. So this, this parasite's not meant to be in the brain. It's meant to be in the intestine. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. At this point, my main concern here is how do I make sure that I keep my brain and I guess my intestines too, worm-free? Did Dr. Gilman have any tips? As a matter of fact, he did. First, he explained how experts believe the woman in Australia came in contact with this unusual parasite. The hypothesis is, is that she is in an area around a, a, a lake where, the, where carpet pythons are plentiful, and that's what this parasite normally infects. And she was foraging leafy greens and, and things uh, to, to eat. And so the hypothesis is either she was eating some of these foraged leaves and, and plant material that were unwashed, so like unwashed produce, or she ended up getting them on her, getting eggs of, the, of these nematode parasites on her fingers and then like touched her mouth or, you know, introduced them that way. That's the current hypothesis. So somehow she ended up ingesting eggs from these these parasites, which normally these would be eaten by a rodent or something uh, that then would be eaten by a, by a carpet python. Given that what what you just said about you know, she was foraging food and and didn't wash it and everything, I suppose there are a lot of lessons here. <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> One is. Uh, you got to wash your produce. Got to be careful about what you eat. It's a good idea to wash your hands before eating. Exactly. And and I, clearly she did not and uh, paid the price. What else should people be aware of if they want to avoid getting an infection like this? I mean, I'm eating at places that you that you trust, that you trust that, that, that the staff is washing their hands. Um, making sure you wash your hands before you eat and after you go to the bathroom. Um, a lot of students that take my parasitology class ask me if I still eat out at restaurants by the time that the class is over because we spend time talking about 
different things you can get from eating undercooked meat, raw fish, you know, those kinds of things. Those are sources of potential infection. And it's good to know that you're taking a risk. If you're going to have sushi, you're going to have ceviche. I wouldn't get it from a, from a truck on the side of the road. You want to make sure you're eating or, or at least that, that, that you know that they're, they're getting fresh stuff and they're being careful about how it's prepared. You know, if you get ceviche out of a truck, you probably got it coming. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Is this guy, this sounds like something that's going to be a case study you're going to talk about with your students. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to talk about this. And I imagine they're going to be thinking, but foraging is supposed to be good. It's good for the environment. And I'm not saying you shouldn't forage. Whether you eat produce that's farmed or foraged, it should be washed. Okay, I've never foraged for food before, but I will definitely wash it a lot if I ever find myself in a situation where I need to. You know, I'll wash stuff from the grocery store, let alone something I pick out of the ground at the side of the road. And that's anywhere, by the way, because while it's unlikely that those of us here in the U.S. will come into contact with this Australian parasite, that doesn't mean there aren't some creepy crawlies to worry about here, too. One of the parasites that you can get in your intestine is called Ascaris lumbricoides. That's the one that can get to be like 10 inches. But there's over a billion people on planet Earth that have that. Its eggs can survive in the environment for years under the right conditions. They've done an experiment in Germany where they, they used night soil, which is essentially a nice way to say that they used human waste to fertilize a strawberry field. And then they never fertilized it again. And every year they went back to, to sample to see if you could how, how long you could still get viable Ascaris eggs out of that strawberry field. They were able to get fertilized viable eggs for up to seven years after the, the one time that they used night soil to fertilize it. They're again terrifying. There are so many scary, gross things out there, but you love it. If they weren't out there, you wouldn't have a job. That's true. I do love it. I think that it can be scary when you just think about what they're capable of doing but when you when you start to spend time really looking at the at what they can teach us about evolution about biology about how life finds a way to do a variety of different things you get past that scary part and it just becomes fascinating it just becomes interesting that organisms have evolved to do so many different things and of course mike there are more parasites on planet earth than non-parasites most life on planet Earth is parasitic. Very interesting. I, uh, I'm going to think about all of this the next time I have a headache. I'm Mike Rogers. Thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Barry and Chris Blake. Audio editing by Bree Flores. Original music by Myron Kaplan and editorial support from Cooper Mall. And if you want to keep listening... Very easy. Just subscribe to us on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have your own offbeat story that you think we should cover, don't hesitate to let us know about it. Send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.